You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. I wonder how often do you watch a film or read a novel and subconsciously you place yourself into the story? It's actually what the director or the writer wants of you. They want you to immerse yourselves in the story and they want you to kind of become one of the characters. You know what I mean? Every time I watch Superman. But... Because <laughs> I was his body double, obviously. For those of you that have read uh, Tolkien's fantastic Lord of the Rings series, uh, a trilogy, or watched Peter Jackson's, Jackson's films of the same name, uh, I wonder which character... Did you identify with the most? Was it the agile Lego last, the elven guy? Was it the courageous Frodo? I don't think anybody wants to be Frodo, to be honest. <laughs> or, or even worse, faithful Samwise Ganji, the fat little hobbit. That's more likely to have been my body double there. Right? <laughs> uh, when I was a teacher, some of my uh, S4 students effectively, uh, affectionately called me Gimli. <laughs> the dwarf. I mean, come on. I, I'm not sure that's actually who I want to be identified with in the story. That is banned. It's not allowed. It could be worse. There are other characters in other similar films that I would not want to be named after. Don't ask Jess, because she would tell you to enjoy doing that. Um, there's a lot going on. In the uh, Lord of the Rings story, there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of twists and plots. Uh, there's the old, old cliché fight between good and evil that seems to resurface in so many films uh, and books. And of course there's a lot of symbolic objects. For example, the ring. The ring that represents our desire to be in control. <coughs> our desire to have it our way. Our desire to seek out the power necessary to have it the way that we want to have it. At all costs. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. But actually, the real story seems to hinge in particular around one main theme. Everything in these films and everything in these books is gearing to one main event. Despite... All of that treachery that you see, despite all of the fear, all of the foes, all of the battles, all of the, uh, the wars and bits and pieces that go on, there's an expectation that for some people that expectation provides strength and hope and encourages them to war. For other people, like uh, Sauron's army and stuff like that, it, it actually has the opposite effect. They're fearful of this expectation. There's a sense of foreboding. We must crush this. And for other people still, there's a sense of ambivalence. We don't care, we don't really believe that this expectation is coming to anything anyway. And so all that is required is that we ignore the expectation. And that expectation is, of course, the return of the king. In the beginning of these films, there's actually a sense of sadness, a sense of hopelessness for the loss of the, the kings of men. Do you remember the story? And uh, uh, the hobbits come across, early on in the story, they come across this dark, mysterious figure known as Strider. And he's, he's big and he's strong and he's kind of a little bit dangerous, perhaps a little bit unpredictable. And they don't yet know who he is. 
and they don't yet know that they can trust him. But by the end of the trilogy, he, Strider, will rise up and mark the return of the kings of men. He leads a vastly outnumbered army against that whole horde of goblins and, and orcs and things like that. And he secures victory. If, if you and I, when we watch a film, place ourselves, immerse ourselves into the film and become one of the characters, we read ourselves into the script, how much more, I wonder, does the author do the same? You've got to wonder with Ian Fleming writing the James Bond series. You know, it's obvious that this guy he saw himself as a bit of a Bond character. It was his fantasy. It's what he wanted. It was him projecting his best version of himself. How much more does the author immerse themselves in the story? What if the author could physically step right into the heart, right into the centre of the story? And here's my big question for you today, because I'm not going to speak for long. What if God could step right into the centre of your story? John 1, 1 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. John is talking about Jesus. He is the word, the expression, the message. He's the royal decree. He's the proclamation of God, the exact image of God, the representation of God, this word, this Jesus. And at the start of the story, he was with the author, and he was the author. Not of some trivial novel, but of life itself. So that everything that we see, everything that we taste, everything that we touch, everything that we experience has been created. It's come from his creative outworking. He is the author. But the story was hijacked. Selfishness and self-absorption came into the story and the characters started to do their own thing. And so the author takes drastic action and the author actually steps into the heart of the story. And John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He literally framed himself in the same flesh that you and I wear this morning. We had a joke the other day about the fact that I was going to wear my Christmas uh, clothes and somebody said, oh, you should buy a Christmas suit. And I said, what on earth is a Christmas suit? I hope it's not the same as a birthday suit. <laughs> because that would definitely not be appropriate. <laughs> I bet you're glad that I wore my Christmas suit this morning, aren't you? But here's the thing. God literally clothed himself in the same skin and flesh and sinew and bone that you have. With all of its weaknesses and all of its vulnerability. But unlike Strider from The Lord of the Rings who we first meet as a strong, courageous, warrior-type character, our first introduction to Jesus is as a baby. Helpless, needy, dependent, weak, susceptible to injury, illness, betrayal, hunger, exposure, and death. The same problems that we face, the enemies of our skin, 
Jesus faced. But as a baby, there's that line in that song, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. What, a load of rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish, he was a baby. How many of you, I see a few babies today, no crying they make, right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> as long as they save it up for when they're at granny and granddad's house. Get, get it all out of their system there, that's fine. Well, why does God do this? It's, it's because, how can God say that he identifies with us unless he actually lives as a human and knows what it is to be human? The creator becomes the created. He was not created by anyone, but he identifies with the same flesh that he created. How can he say that he identifies with us without experiencing all of our bleeding, all of our heartbreaks, all of our hurts, all of our injuries, our sicknesses, our failings, our weaknesses, all of our hunger and all of our temptation? How can God possibly say that he understands if he hasn't experienced the very same thing through your eyes? Because the king has lived the same vulnerability and weakness uh, that we do. And he knows, <coughs> listen, he knows what it is to be you. Mm-hmm. In every way, in every way, he can identify with you. He has experienced the hunger. He has cried. He has seen the worst that sickness can throw at us with his own eyes. You felt let down. At some point in your lives, even those young in here, you felt let down at some point. He was let down. You felt betrayed. He was betrayed. One of his closest friends sold him for a bag of coins. You felt victimised. You might have felt misunderstood. You might have felt like people are ganging up on you. He was surrounded by people who took enjoyment from whipping him. Mocking him and hammering nails through his wrists and through his feet. Because Jesus didn't stay as a baby. He grew up. And this is the cool bit, Christian or not, believer or not. He challenged the orders and the structures of authority in the world. Challenged them. He spoke words that still impact the way that we all live our lives today. He spoke words which impact the laws that we have in this country. Good laws. Whether or not we believe this is good. And he died. And his death, in his death, he defeated sin forever. He defeated death itself. And he has won the battle. He has already destroyed the grip of sin and all its temptations. And he was raised to life so that you can now experience what it is to have a brand new life. Guys, this is a life that represents how the story was originally written. You know, if you look around the world, that it's a messed up place. You know, again, it doesn't matter what your worldview is, it doesn't matter what you actually believe, you know that this world is messed up. You know that there are places where you don't want to go because they're dangerous. Glasgow. (laughs) You know that there are things that you don't do we, we have a, a structure of society, and, and we know when somebody steps over that line in a horrendous way, we know that that's wrong. 
And we see it on the news, we see it with our own eyes in our own streets, in our own town. We know that this is not how the story was originally written. But listen, this king has come. And because he is here, and because he knows what it's like to be you, he can offer you a new life and you can start to be part of the story as it was originally written. You don't have to live in fear any longer. You don't have to live with doubt, with anxiety. You don't have to live with depression. You don't have to live with selfishness, with failure, because the king has come and he's stepped right into the heart of his creation. And I'm going to finish with this. You, you might not know him. You might not know who he is, and you might not trust him yet. And that's okay. But the king is set to return. The king is set to return, and he's going to bring the entire story to its final chapter. You might ask yourself, when will he return? We don't know. But my question to you is this. Which side of the story will you find yourself on when he returns? Are you, are you ready to step into his story? Because he is ready, and he has stepped into the heart of your story too. Are you willing to open up and allow him to show you the wonderful way that your life was intended to be written? Because even you know you were made for more than this. Can we just bow our heads for a second? For